0: Heavenly Father, once again we assemble together on a Thursday night. We ask that you would help us in the study of your word, that we would learn, that we would be challenged, and Lord, that you would open our hearts and minds to understand the beauty and the blessings that are in your word. In your name we pray, amen. You may be seated. All right, if you need an outline or would like one, wave your hand there and uh, we'll have uh, Stephen Montoro, bring you one up, and uh, there is no way that we can just look up every reference and, and read everything. But we're we're going to read a lot of these tonight, so kind of uh, stretch your fingers and let's go to the Book of Psalms. And uh, one of the things that we we need to understand before we start our study is. The Old Testament, the book of Malachi, was completed about 400 years before Jesus was born. Most of the Psalms, uh, there are some exceptions. Some of the Psalms were written after the return to uh, um, of the captivity, and that would have been about five thirty. Uh, B.C., 530 years before Christ was born. Most of the Psalms were written by David. And uh, he would have died just before the year 1,000. A thousand years before Christ was born. Some of the Psalms are written by Moses, which even goes back uh, before that, hundreds of years. Uh, and all of these prophecies had fulfillment directly in the life of Christ. Now, probably uh, the most famous uh, person who claimed to be a prophet was Nostradamus. Uh, People talk about him. They still read his books. He's been dead about 500 years. Uh, I'm not 100% sure exactly what his accuracy rate was, but it was somewhere around 4 or 5%. Uh, and that is incredible for someone foretelling future events. Now, God has a little different level of qualification. In, in fact, he said, if you prophesy something in my name and it doesn't come to pass, uh, the penalty should be death because you have prophesied falsely in the name of the Lord And God says, I never lie, I don't ever make a mistake because I'm God. I know the end from the beginning. Now, if we just understand the definition of God, this whole thing of prophecy really is no big deal. Because if you know everything that's going to happen, it's not that huge of an accomplishment to tell somebody Something you already know. That's why Martha Stewart went to jail for a little while. It is because she found out something was going to happen before it happened and tried to capitalize on that. And they probably would have let her off if she hadn't lied about it. Because no one is that lucky. Now, if that is good enough to put someone in prison, why won't anyone believe the Bible when these events are foretold hundreds and even over a thousand years before they happen? They are written in the Scriptures, and if you could read Hebrew and we to pick up a Hebrew Bible, uh, let me assure you uh, that as long as it's a good Hebrew Bible, uh, that it would say in Hebrew exactly what your King James Bible says in English. And so these verses are still in the Hebrew Scriptures that we're going to look at. And one of the I'm getting ahead of myself, but they make all kinds of excuses. But I want to challenge you that it is statistically impossible. And we're only going to be looking at the crucifixion uh, and the events around the crucifixion and the resurrection. And and we're going to go through, uh, I, I didn't count the number of lines or the number of references here, But we're going to go through dozens and dozens of references. Now, someone once came up with the bright idea. Well, Jesus ordered his life to fit the prophecies. uh, And that's why he claimed to be the Messiah. It wasn't because he actually fulfilled them. It was because he tried to fulfill them. Well, let's just go through the first one here and see if that theory holds any water At all. I want you to turn with me to Psalm 41. And in Psalm 41, it says, Yea, my own familiar friend, in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me and people say well how do you know that that's a prophecy well what was the last thing that jesus said when the disciples asked who jesus said one of you at the table betrays me it says he who i give the sop how many know what sop is that's a piece of bread dipped in vinegar what does this verse say It says, My own familiar friend. And how did Jesus greet Judas in the garden when he came to have him arrested? He said, Friend, wherefore art thou come? And Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss, the sign of affection. Today, you see a man kissing a man even on the cheek, and you're going to think weird thoughts. You have to understand that in Jesus' day... Uh, Among Jewish people, this was just not the way things were. Uh, That was a token of friendship. Now, I will say this. There are cultural differences. And I like mine. A good, firm handshake from a distance. uh, I just enjoy that kind of greeting. Uh, Every once in a while, you run into somebody and they got to do the kiss on the cheek thing. And I'm always uncomfortable. I'm just an American And hope always to be. Amen. Uh, forgive me, uh, but that's just the way I am. But that's the, that was, here's what it says. Mine own familiar friend, he's eaten my bread, he's lifted up his heel against me. Let's look on. Let's go to Psalm 55. Verse 12 says, For it was not an enemy that reproached me, then could I have borne it. Neither was it he that hated me, that did magnify himself against me. Then would I have hid myself from him. But it was thou, a man mine equal, my guide and my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked to the house of God in company. Now let's get to the nitty-gritty. Let's go to the book of Zechariah. Zechariah was one of the latter prophets. He was after the return, roughly 500 years before Jesus came. And one of the reasons why we can pick these verses out of the passages where they're in is because of the clear gospel record of what actually happened and how well they fit in to what happened in the gospel record. Now, let's look at Zechariah chapter 11, and we're going to read verse 12. And I said unto them, If ye think good, give me my price, and if not, forbear. So they weighed for my price thirty pieces of silver, And the Lord said unto me, cast it unto the potter, a goodly price, that I was prized of them. And I took thirty pieces of silver and cast them to the potter in the house of the Lord. Now, this is Zechariah reading. And if you follow the context, it just kind of seems like uh, these verses are just stuck in here. But... What did Judas negotiate with the Pharisees for the price of betraying Jesus? Thirty pieces of silver, just like Zechariah said. Where did Judas cast them the next morning when he saw that Jesus was actually arrested and carried over for trial uh, in the house of the Lord? What did the Pharisees do them do with the money that they picked up off the floor? of the house of the Lord, of the temple there, where they were, is they said, we can't put this money in the offering plate, in the treasury, because it's blood money. Now, can you imagine the sanctimonious thought process as these men engineered the betrayal of Jesus? They said, we can't take the money that we used to betray him and put it in the offering that that really, God wouldn't like that. And so they went out and they bought a potter's field. That's where the potter, uh, there would be a whole little section of Jerusalem that would be set aside for the potteries. And I mean, if you had a pot, that uh, they didn't have uh, stress stainless steel and aluminum with copper clad bottoms and all the things that we had. If you had a pot, normally it was made out of clay. And when something happened or a pot was broken, they they just had a dump. where uh, the, It was called the potter's field where they just threw all the broken pieces or the disformed uh, pottery or the uh, when they put it in the kiln to heat it, if it cracked, it was no good, out to the potter's field. So they bought that, they dug it up, and they made a cemetery for people that had no money to bury themselves. Now, let me ask you a question. How in the world do you manipulate what the person is going to betray you for to your enemies? How do you manipulate that price? How do you determine that your enemies, while you're going to be incarcerated, he was on trial uh, before Pontius Pilate and possibly even being beaten, beaten and scourged while this was going on. And then Jesus is crucified and in the tomb and they buy the potter's field. How, how in the world do you arrange those things? Could I challenge you, that's not possible. And these events are just around the betrayal of Jesus the night before he was crucified. I don't know about you, but that's, that's amazing to me that I could find these verses so clearly defining events that happened. And by the way, the writers of our New Testament, and that's what I mean about not taking time, uh, if we went into the New Testament and looked up every verse instead of just quoting the events to you, we would be here all night just on the betrayal. And, and I want to go a little further than that. Let's go back to Psalm 35. And verse 11 says, False witnesses did rise up, they laid to my charge things that I knew not. In Matthew chapter 26 it gives the story of how these scribes and Pharisees had Judas betray Jesus by night. They took him in and they hired false witnesses, and the false witnesses that they hired to give false testimony couldn't even agree with themselves until two guys came in and quoted something that Jesus said publicly to the Pharisees at the very beginning of his ministry. He said, you destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it again. And they said he spoke against the temple. That was the only charge that they could come up with. You see, they had rules in, in their proceedings that no person could be put to death without at least two witnesses agreeing on a capital charge against them. And they had all these guys parade in and they couldn't even agree. And yet, it tells us here in, in the book of Psalms, uh, go down from Psalm 35, verse 11 to verse 19, let them... Let not them that are mine enemies wrongfully rejoice over me, neither let them wink with the eye that hate me without a cause. For they speak not peace, but they devise deceitful matters against them that are quiet in the land. And we're not saying that these verses do not have other application to other events that may have happened in the psalmist's life. What we are saying is these verses perfectly describe what happened to Jesus. They hated him without a cause. Jesus had done nothing to injure the Pharisees except one thing criticize their traditions. That's all he did. And they plotted and planned his uh, execution. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 50. Verse 6. I gave my back to the smiters. And my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. How many of you have ever listened to Handel's Messiah all the way through? About two hours and 45 minutes of King James Bible put to some of the most beautiful music that you ever had. In fact, we ought to get a couple copies of that and just put it in the bookstore so people can buy that and have that. If you ever want to listen to something that will just calm your spirit and and, and uh, help you get a good night's sleep and all of those things, you'll have to work at it a little bit. I mean, uh, the first time you hear him singing those words with all that fancy English accent, it's going to be hard to catch them all. But if you work at it a little bit, this is one of the verses that is in Handel's Messiah. And it tells perfectly what happened to Jesus that night. He was tried. They beat him, they hit him with their hands. They they pulled out his beard. They spit upon him. And here, how how do you get your enemies to do these things to you? Do you stand there and say, Spit on me, come on, let's do it right, you know? Uh, that kind of behavior comes from the only thing that I can explain it as, a a special type of insanity, of madness, where you just become so incensed that you just lose control. I mean, what would make you reach over and pull somebody's beard out of their face and beat them until you couldn't even recognize them as a human being? I mean, these are things that happened to Jesus that were prophesied before they happened. Normal humanity. I mean, we have right now a terrible outrage in the city because we have this uh, one young girl that was beat up at the McDonald's a couple days ago. And and there ought to be. We're dragging people into court. We're going to put the the leader, gang leader, who was a 16-year-old girl... Uh, They're going to put her in prison under felony assault charges. I mean, this is crazy stuff. Yet, every one of the priests and their servants that were there the night Jesus was betrayed would be guilty of felonious assault. And by the way, the Old Testament law did not allow for that kind of behavior either. And yet, we'll get into it. Jesus opened not his mouth. He did not uh, argue with that. Uh, so, just in the trial and in the betrayal, we, we have already reached a statistical impossibility for events a thousand years before he was born to have happened in his lifetime by accident. And that's one of the reasons we go over these things. Jesus opened the eyes and the minds of his disciples after his resurrection to understand that these prophecies spoke of their Messiah and that he would suffer. And uh, we we got to keep moving here. Uh, uh, not one bone is to be broken. This was part of the Passover regulations, Exodus 12, 46, Numbers nine twelve. And what does the New Testament say? Christ is our Passover. And it explained that as they went by the other two thieves that were crucified with Christ, uh, it was getting late in the day, they were not dead, they broke their legs so that They would not be able to raise themselves up. They would suffocate in just a matter of maybe uh, 10, 20, 30 minutes at the very most. But when they came to Christ, they did not break a bone because he was dead already. Because he was going to fulfill the prophecies. Now, let me ask you a question. When you are dying on a cross, you're nailed to a cross can you determine the time of your death by your own will? Mm-mm. I mean, you hear all the stories about these yogis and people who can control their breathing and all that. But when you're nailed to a cross, you know what your body's instinct is? It's to stay alive. Your bo- you will stay alive... As long as you can. Jesus was already dead before they broke the legs. So that the prophecies could be fulfilled. Isaiah, I mean, Psalm 38 talks about people watching. And let's let's just read that one. That's an amazing little bit here. Psalm 38, verse 11. said, my lovers... And my friends stand aloof from my sore, and my kinsmen stand afar off. They also that seek after my life lay snares for me, and they that seek my hurt speak mischievous things, and imagine deceits all the day long. But I as a deaf man heard not, and I was as a dumb man that openeth not his mouth. Thus I was as a man that heareth not, and in, those mouth, and in whose mouth there are are no reproofs. Does that not describe what Jesus did as he was betrayed and as he hung on the cross? Let's, um, Deuteronomy 21 pronounces a curse of anyone that is hung upon a tree. Paul, in uh, probably forty 10-12 uh, years after Jesus hung on the cross, at, at least... Uh, Wrote that Jesus was made a curse for us So that we could escape the curse of the law Now I want you to turn with me to Psalm 22 Psalm 22 is one of those psalms That if you ever are allowed to open the scriptures with a Jewish person This is one of the places you ought to go if they will let you open up the scriptures, you just say, let me let me read this psalm to you. Verse 1, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now, I just read verse 1, but I was also quoting the Gospels when they talked about what Jesus said on the cross. Every Pharisee and Sadducee that walked down the street, every scribe knew. Those words were from God's Word, from the Psalms, written by David a thousand years before Jesus was born. And yet, what did they say? They said, well, let's wait and see if Elias or Elijah is going to come and rescue him. Now, how did you get that out of, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because their hearts were so hard to the truth. That even though Jesus was quoting the scripture, it was not making any sense. And they're going to go on and fulfill the scripture. Look at verse 6. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out their lips. They shake their heads saying, he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him. Seeing, he delighted in him. Almost word for word, the Pharisees answered Jesus out of this same psalm. How do you make this stuff up? You cannot. You wouldn't dare. Someone would accuse you of it. And it's not made up in the Bible. How how can you make your enemies say things to you that are reflected in the scriptures? You see, all of these things prove that Jesus is whom He said He is. And of course, when you speak of Jesus, you must always use present tense. Um, look at verse twelve. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my boughs. Do you get this? When they would put a person on the cross... I mean, I mean, you, if you've seen the pictures and the representations, they do it a lot nicer than, than is in reality. They, they literally nailed you to the cross like you would a piece of wood to another piece of wood. And when the cross was raised and dropped into the hole that kept it stationary, every joint that was connected, all the way up and down your spine, your shoulders, your arms your hips, everything would be pulled out of joint, just like it says. It says, my heart is melted like wax. And when they pierced Jesus with the sword to verify his death, what happened? It said, forthwith came blood and water. Uh, a medical doctor said, the only way that could have happened is for the heart to literally rupture, and then the blood that was in the body to sit there in the cavity and coagulate and separate. And that would have been, there. there's so many things. But one guy said that Jesus was wounded very close to death and that he revived in the cold tomb. Wait a minute, no. Blood and water ran out. He was already dead. He had been dead for quite a little while. When they pierced him with the sword. And yet David talks about that as happening. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws, and thou hast brought me into the dust of death. What did Jesus say? I thirst. Does this not describe that? And then he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit, and he gave up the ghost. He said, It is finished. And for dogs have compassed about me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me, they pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots on my vesture. The Roman soldiers, Jesus' robe was a woven robe with just one hole in it that went over uh, uh, and uh, what did he do? They said, let's not cut this thing up. This is too nice. Let's have a little dice game here. Let's cast lots. And at the foot of the cross, as Jesus was hanging there, those soldiers, Roman soldiers, knew nothing of the Scriptures, fulfilled it word for word, just the way the Bible said. And then if you take the last part of this chapter, verses 19 through 31, it talks about the fact that the work that Christ accomplished on the cross was going to be published, that people were going to talk about it. We're fulfilling that prophecy here tonight, as many, many, many have down through the ages, since the time of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, That's what the church is supposed to do. It was prophesied here in Psalm 22, a thousand years before Jesus was born. Look with me to Psalm 69, verse 4. Again, they that hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of mine head. They would destroy me, being my enemies wrongfully are mighty, Then I restored that which I took not away. Does that not describe what Jesus did on the cross? He restored to us what he didn't take away. If you will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you can have the forgiveness of your sins. And he is not responsible for your sin. You are. I'll tell you. How how can we how can you deny these things? Look at verse twenty-one of this same chapter as you go down, and this is one of the reasons um, why we know that this chapter is talking about the Messiah. In verse 21, they gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. When Jesus said, I thirst This was, was according to John, the last thing that had to be fulfilled. They gave him vinegar to drink. They tried to give him gall at the very beginning. That was a kind of a toxic, drug-like substance that would dull the senses. And when Jesus had tasted that it had this in it, he refused to take it. These things here are all prophesied in the Psalms. Before it happened. Now I want you to turn with me to Isaiah 52. And we're going to take a few minutes here. And just go through this passage. Look at verse 13. Of Isaiah 52. Uh, getting into Isaiah 53, we often skip, I know I have many times, these few verses here. It says, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently, he shall be exalted and extolled and be very high, as many as were astonished at thee. His visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of man. So shall he sprinkle many nations the kings shall shut their mouths at him, for that which had not been told them shall they see, and that which they had not heard shall they consider. And those words. His visage was marred more than any man. And his form than the sons of men. Now, one of the things that the Jewish people do today is you read Isaiah 53 and you say, Who is this talking about? It has to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, about the best answer they've come up with over the years is Isaiah 53 is talking about the nation of Israel. Well, then, who is Isaiah 52 verse 13 talking about? You see, that's talking about a person whose visage is marred. And that person, his story is going to be told to kings and they're going to be quiet. You know, that was a prophecy of the work of missions that happened from the very days of the apostles right down through our time today. I can't help but think as... As Handel's Messiah, the first time that Alleluia course was sung, the king was there in the galleries. And he stood up honoring the king of kings. Because he, whether he was truly born again the Bible way or not, that's kind of hard to tell. But he could not but help understand that he was not the king of kings. That whom the song was about. And to this day, if you're in proper etiquette, when the hallelujah chorus is sung, you stand. Why? Because we are singing about someone who is greater than any king here on earth. Amen? And we get to Isaiah 53, and we should have enough time to... Wander down through here. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he, talking about an individual, shall grow up before him as a tender plant. And as a root out of dry ground, he hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. If there's anything I hate about the video and... Movies that were made trying to depict Jesus Christ is he was always depicted as the most beautiful person that they could think of. Here it says that when they saw him, there was nothing about him that said, This is the Messiah. It was, What did Jesus offer? He said, you see the miracles that I've done. They prove that I'm who I am. You know the things that I have taught you. These words that I'm teaching you come from the Father of whom you say that he is your God. These confirm my identity, not my appearance. But of course, if Hollywood has anything to do with it, they only care about one thing. Appearance. And that doesn't last very long now, does it? And so we read on. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted of grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. Do you? Get this? It says he bore our sorrows. Yet, the people that were there saying, if you're really from God, come down from the cross and we'll believe you. But since God is letting you hang here, then he must be punishing you. And you know what? We're going to get on and find out that that was true. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. Let's keep reading here. You see, Jesus was not suffering because of what he did, but because of what we did. Verse 5 But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Pilate marveled that Jesus did not defend himself. But all Jesus was doing in Pilate's judgment hall was fulfilling verse 7. He was oppressed and what he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as his sheep before his shears are dumb... So he openeth not his mouth. Verse 8 talked about the uh, kangaroo court that Jesus faced in the house of of, uh, Caiaphas and Ananias. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. Another prophecy, verse 9, And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Jesus was crucified between two thieves, and he was... Killed with the wicked, but who showed up to bury him? Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. Arguably, historically fact, the two richest men of all Israel. Isn't that an amazing fact? That those two men showed up to bury Jesus in perfect fulfillment of Isaiah 53 and verse 9. Verse 10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, will I divide with him a portion with the great and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors and he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. He was numbered with the transgressors. He was treated as a common criminal, crucified with two other criminals. And yet it says he made intercession for the transgressors. As they were nailing him to the cross, what were his words? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Could, could I challenge you that that would be almost impossible for some ignorant fishermen from Galilee who had a bare, scant knowledge of the Word of God before they met Jesus to be able to manufacture all of these things that they recorded in uh, their gospel accounts. But we do have a verse that says, Scripture, or all Scripture, is given by what? Inspiration of God. But the men of old spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. That God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, inter- intervened and gave them the words to write. We uh, Let's just turn over to... Uh, Isaiah 63, and we'll read a few verses here. And this has a double fulfillment, I believe, in the book of Revelation as well. It says, Who is this that cometh from Edom, verse 1, with dyed garments from Basra? This, that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. I that speak righteous." Speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel, and thy garments like him that treadeth the wine fat? I have trodden the winepress alone, and of the people there was none with me. For I will tread them in my anger, and trample them in my fury, and their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments. And I will stain all my raiment. For the day of vengeance is in mine heart, and the year of my redeemed is come. Skip down, if you would, to verse 8. For he said, Surely they are my people, children that will not lie. So he was their Savior. In all their affliction he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity he redeemed them, and he bare them and carried them all the days of old. Now, that... First verses we read has a second fulfillment. When the wine press is tread, trodden without the city, Jesus will do that and pour out His wrath upon mankind. And yet before that, He was sprinkled with His own blood so that He could be our Savior, so that He could carry us and take our iniquities away. Look at Amos chapter eight and verse nine, and and people have often argued, and they go back and they try to prove that there was an eclipse of the sun uh, on the very day that Jesus died, and all of this. And uh, I'll, I'll tell you that uh, we do not believe the Bible because we can find it in a astrological. That's that uh, That is an astron- astronomy, the study of the planet movement in the calendar, not astrology, the study of the soothsayers, all right? Uh, we don't believe in any of that stuff, but just because we can find correspondence is not the reason why we believe the Bible. We believe the Bible because it said so. If there's correspondence, well, that's a great thing. But the problem with dates and calendars is our calendar is all messed up. And we try to say that something happened on such and such a day, and you can get out your Apple calendar and plug in a date, and it'll give you a certain date. But I want to challenge, study the history of the calendar. Uh, If you have any Greek Orthodox friends that follow the Orthodox calendar rather than the, western calendar and the jews have their own calendar and uh let let me tell you it's confusing so don't don't get into the realm of fighting with the calendars but look what amos says he says the sun's going to go down at noon when did the sun go down on crucifixion day at noon it did from noon till three it was dark And verse 9 says, And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord, that I will cause the sun to go down at noon, and I will darken the earth in the clear day. Sounds like that might have happened. Amen. Now, look at Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. We're going to have to hurry because we've got two more in two minutes here. It says, and I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. And they shall look upon me whom they have, what's that word there? Pierced. And they shall mourn for him. And this is a future prophecy, but who is it talking about? The Lord Jesus Christ. And he was pierced with the spirit. On the cross to prove that he was dead. Now, we want to go to uh, Psalm 16. Just a few verses here. And this, of course, was preached on the day of Pentecost by Peter. It says, I have set uh, verse 8. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad, and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope, for thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thy Holy One to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life, In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Now, this idea of corruption was simply something that happened when the body was in the tomb over three days. This was a Jewish tradition. In fact, how many of you remember Menachem Schneerson of the Lubavitcher community? He passed away, I think it was about 10, 12 years ago. And I remember listening to the news reports as the young Jewish boys that were studying in in his yeshivas and studying after him they believed that he was their Messiah. And when he died, they, they laid him out in the funeral. And one of the news commentators said, uh, not, not this blatantly, but basically said, what, what are you going to do now? Your rabbi is dead. He said, you wait till the third day. Well, you know what? He's still dead third day. And he's still dead all these years later. Jesus is alive in fulfillment of the Scriptures. And Peter preached this on the day of Pentecost. And if anybody wanted to put an end to Christianity, all they had to do was show up with a body the day after Pentecost. And prove that the disciples had lied. Isn't that true? Why didn't they do that? Because they didn't have one. Because Jesus rose again from the dead, just as the Bible said. Let's go to 49 verse 15 of the book of Psalms and we'll be done tonight. But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. Now, this is by no means exhaustive in every verse, but this is a great portion of the scriptures that deal with the events surrounding the crucifixion. Just from the prophecy side, we read the Old Testament verses. The New Testament gives testimony to everything that we read. And these are just some of the reasons why you should believe your Bible is God's Word. It is statistically impossible for man to come up with that many coincidences. It's just not possible. It's not possible to manipulate all the events thousands of years later and people say, Well, you just go into the Old Testament and try to find things. Uh, I challenge you. How can you get any more exact than Psalm 22, than Isaiah 53? Uh, how, How can you not say these verses deal with the subject of Jesus Christ and His crucifixion? The very items that the Romans gave him to drink during the crucifixion are listed in the Psalms a thousand years before he was born. What the Pharisees would do with the money that they used to betray him. Tell you something, we serve a great God. And we need to ask him to help us to live for him each and every day. And if you're here and you're not sure... That your eternity has been settled by the one who bore your sins on Calvary's cross. I would challenge you. Let's take a few minutes tonight and open this book and get that thing settled. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for all the prophecies that are in it. We thank you for these prophecies that we were able to look at tonight. I pray that it would not have been tedious, but Lord, it would have been enlightening. It would allow us to see that our faith, though it is based on things we cannot see, has very many facts that we can see built right into it. And Lord, we thank you that we can hold in our hands this little book that tells us so many miraculous things. And Lord, I pray that each one of us right here would take just a few moments And commit ourselves to a deeper trust in you. And a greater desire to serve you with our lives. Before we finish that prayer, we'll just have the pianist play. If you need to slip out of your seat and spend a little time. The altar is open. If you'd like someone in the privacy of this moment to take the Bible and show you how you could know your sins are forgiven and heaven's your home just come up